case number 20-5723, Online Merchants Guild v. Daniel Cameroon. Oral arguments not to exceed 15 minutes per side. Mr. Matthew Franklin Kroon for the appellant. May it please the court, Matthew Kuhn for the Kentucky Attorney General. I'd like to reserve three minutes for rebuttal. At issue here, your honors, is whether third-party sellers can use Amazon's platform as an absolute defense against state price gouging laws. Early in the COVID-19 crisis, Kentucky's Attorney General began investigating alleged price gouging of Kentuckians by Kentucky businesses who use Amazon. Yet the district court preliminarily enjoined these efforts based on the extraterritoriality doctrine, which is a rarely used doctrine that focuses on whether one state has directly controlled co conduct wholly outside the state's borders. It should go without saying that a doctrine that concerns wholly, uh, wholly out-of-state activity does not forbid the Attorney General's purely intrastate activities. The district court's conclusion to the contrary extends the extraterritoriality doctrine past its breaking point. It allows Amazon's design decisions to overrule Kentucky's duly enacted laws. It undercuts the state's police powers, and it calls into questions price gouging regimes across the country. In short, it cannot be the case that a business's decision to use Amazon's platform somehow walls off that business's pricing from the state's police powers. This case also raises threshold questions of Article III standing, uh, but because those questions largely require the court to apply established precedent to the facts, I intend to begin by discussing the extraterritoriality doctrine. The applicable question under that doctrine is whether one state's laws, quote, directly control commerce wholly outside of the state's borders. Um, if a law merely affects out-of-state commerce, that is not enough to violate the doctrine. The, the easiest way to think about this is to ask whether the state law attaches in-state consequences to wholly out-of-state conduct. Uh, the best example of this is Brown-Foreman. New York began to institute license revocation proceedings against Brown-Foreman because of its out-of-state conduct, its out-of-state promotional allowances. Uh, so in that circumstance, there were in-state consequences for wholly out-of-state conduct. Kentucky's price gouging laws do not suffer from this fatal flaw. Uh, in particular, they are indifferent to price gouging of non-Kentuckians. Under Kentucky's law, merchants can price gouge Tennesseans or Ohioans to their heart's content, uh, and Kentucky law says nothing about that. Well, the, the problem that, that I guess the district judge saw was the idea that if Kentucky enforced its price gouging laws that because of the way Amazon structures the marketplace, that this would impact um, the same seller who's a Kentucky seller uh, when he's trying to sell something in Tennessee through the Amazon marketplace. Judge, Judge Moore, you're right. That was what the district court rested its holding on. And I think there are uh, a couple of major problems with that. The first one, as I said earlier, the operative question is whether Kentucky law, quote unquote, directly controls wholly out-of-state commerce. What we have here is at most an indirect effect, and here's why. Um, Kentucky law only affects uh, out-of-state pricing if two things happen. 
Uh, first, a seller has to decide to use Amazon. And second, Amazon has to insist on only allowing a nationwide price. Uh, so on the one hand, you have a doctrine that insists on direct control. Uh, but on the other hand, you have something that's two steps removed that only takes that only affects if a voluntary business decision has been made in two instances. Uh, and I think the courts actually talked about this in two of its cases. Uh, the first of those is International Dairy versus Boggs, which is the Ohio milk labeling case. Uh, and in that case, Ohio, Ohio said you've got to label uh, your milk label a certain way to sell goods uh, in Ohio. Um, and the affected party said, well, you, you Ohio don't understand how our business operates. And in effect, your law is going to require us to have a nationwide label and violate the extraterritoriality doctrine. Uh, this court disagreed with that. And what it said was, quote, how the processors label their product in Ohio has no bearing on how they are required to label their products in other states. Kentucky law is not requiring online merchants to use Amazon, nor are we requiring uh, Amazon to allow only a nationwide price. So here we just don't have direct control, which is a requirement under the doctrine. The second point that I would have in response to your question, Judge Moore, is if the district court is right, um, it creates a circumstance in which the states can't regulate in-state conduct, wholly in-state conduct. That's a significant restriction on the state's police powers. As I said at the outset, in the district court's paradigm, the use of Amazon becomes an automatic defense to state price gouging liability. Um, and I think that itself is inconsistent with Healy and Brown-Forman, which, which are the two lodestars of this doctrine. Um, Brown-Forman in particular noted that, quote, states may seek to lower prices for their consumers. And I don't think that's permissible under the district court's reasoning. Well, couldn't, couldn't the state limit price gouging if people are not using Amazon? I, I certainly think we could and we do. Um, but the, the, the district court is basically creating an automatic defense uh, for Amazon. And Amazon um, is an exception to uh, the dormant commerce clause. And Judge Moore, I think that is inconsistent with the Supreme Court's decision in Exxon Corp um, versus the governor of Maryland. Uh, and there, another big company, Exxon Corp, uh, objected to a Maryland law that regulates the way that Exxon had to do business in Maryland. Uh, and they came forward and said something very similar to what the Guild is saying. Uh, their argument was, quote, uh, you're interfering with the natural functioning of the interstate market. That's exactly what the Guild is saying. The Supreme Court rejected that argument. The Supreme Court said that the Commerce Clause, quote, protects the interstate market, not particular interstate firms. And here the interstate firm is, is Amazon and the third party sellers. Um, what is the Attorney General's position as to uh, if, if it proceeds? I, I take it at this point, you're still investigating the companies. You haven't actually brought any enforcement action, correct? That's correct, Judge Bush. If you brought an enforcement action, what would be the Attorney General's position with respect to sales made out of the state of Kentucky? Would, would you be seeking, uh, if, if you found a violation of, of the law, would you be seeking a remedy for sales outside of Kentucky? Uh, so if a Tennessee business uh, gouged an Ohioan, uh, no, we wouldn't. Our statute would not cover that. Um, you know, in this circumstance, uh, the, the attorney general at this point has only served CIDs and subpoenas 
and is only seeking to investigate Kentucky-based businesses for gouging of Amazon. So but we're not even using- In the CIDs, are you asking for information as to all buyers from uh, the Kentucky seller, including those from out of state? Um, I, th I think our, our CIDs, which, which are in the record, uh, there is one in the record from Jones and Panda, are, are, are more focused uh, on um, what their costs were, what their, uh, what their input in, what their, what their normal markup is. We are not investigating, uh, and I do not think our price gouging statutes allow us to investigate gouging of potential gouging of, of non-Kentuckians. Um, Kentucky's uh, Supreme Court has interpreted our Kentucky Consumer Protection Act to protect Kentucky consumers. Um, so if we, we dealt with the circumstance where uh, a Kentucky business was potentially gouging out-of-state citizens, uh, we don't read our um, uh, price gouging statutes to allow us to uh, enforce against that. Um, so, so, so um, you know, if, if there were a circumstance, of course, where an out-of-state business was gouging, a, uh, allegedly gouging a Kentuckian, uh, we do think um, that uh, our, our price gouging statutes would allow an investigation there. Um, and we think that's uh, wholly in keeping with the extraterritoriality doctrine, which of course asks whether conduct is quote, wholly out of the state. Uh, and in that circumstance, you would have one foot in Kentucky, which would be the buyer uh, in Kentucky. Um, so we're not seeking to use our statutes like that. We focused only on Kentucky businesses that have allegedly gouged Kentuckians um, so we're talking about purely in-state activities. Um, one other point that I would make. Have there been any CIDs issued? Uh, the, 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 end of the, the company here is a, is a Kentucky company that is part of the Gill Guild, correct? That, that is the subject of the, of the suit? Correct. It is, it is registered with the Kentucky Secretary of State. Okay. Have there been CIDs issued to non-Kentucky companies as part of the Attorney General's um, investigation? Uh, no, there haven't, Judge Bush. Um, at this point, we have issued 11 uh, CIDs uh, based on information we've received from Amazon, uh, and all of those are uh, Kentucky-based. Um, and so we are not investigating um, out-of-state uh, Amazon merchants under our price gouging statutes. Have you, um, have you issued CIDs to wholly in-state companies that are not using Amazon? Um, Judge, I, the, the precise answer to your, to your question is that we've, I, I don't know the answer to it. I don't want to bury the lead. Um, we've issued 78 uh, CIDs uh, since the start of the pandemic. Um, and uh, the vast majority of those are related to price gouging. Uh, there are three or four that are not that are related to, say, pop-up COVID clinics, those sorts of things. Um, but the vast majority of those 78 are related to alleged price gouging. Uh, and there are 11 of those that are at issue here that are third-party sellers based in Kentucky who sell on Amazon. But uh, of the others that, that are in the 78 but not in the 11, are they all, they are all directed to Kentucky companies? Is that right or wrong? Or is it not in the record? Obviously, we need to know what's in the record. So the only thing that's in the 11 or in the record is uh, the affidavit of an assistant attorney general uh, who avers that all of the CIDs uh, issued re with respect to Amazon, which is the legal issue here, all of those are Kentucky businesses. None of them are outside the state of Kentucky. 
Um, the fin final point that I'd like to make. One other question just for um, clarification. Suppose we agree with you on the extraterritoriality extra question. Um, what about the pipe balancing uh, test? Um, is that something we should also look at or is that something that would just have to go back to the district court to be considered on remand? Uh, so I think the court has discretion in that regard. We <laughs> cited the Caven and EMW cases uh, for the proposition this court is a court of review, uh, not a first view. Uh, so I think that you can simply rule for us on the extraterritoriality doctrine and remand. Um, but the court, of course, does have discretion. Um, and uh, on pike balancing, uh, this court has emphasized uh, the burden that Mr. Block has. Uh, and he's devoted two sentences of his brief, of a 49-page brief, to the issue uh, the benefits here are significant. Um, you know, we're dealing with a pandemic that has forced people online and we're regulating online transactions. Um, so the benefits in this instance would be huge. Uh, and in light of the underdeveloped record, uh, I think we would win. He hasn't satisfied his burden. But Judge, the easiest thing to do is to remand this back to Judge Van Tatenhove and let Mr. Block and myself take it up there. I thank the court for its time. Thank you. Mr. Block. Hey, please the court. Good afternoon, your honors. Aaron Block on behalf of the Online Merchants Guild. I'd actually like to begin with the last point, which is pike balancing while that's fresh in everyone's mind. There are two burdens under pike. We, as the plaintiffs challenging a law, have the initial burden of proof to demonstrate that the law is burdensome. We have amply met that burden. That is much of what the district court's order is about, which is the significant burden on our members and the inability to comply with Kentucky's prices and function in a national marketplace. Assuming we meet that burden, the burden then shifts, the burden of proof shifts to the Commonwealth of Kentucky to justify that burden on the basis of local interests that the Commonwealth couldn't otherwise accomplish. And so I agree that there is an underdeveloped record, but it's actually the Commonwealth's undeveloped record because the Commonwealth did not attempt to prove with evidence that the the AG could not accomplish any police power goals or get close to accomplishing those police power goals by doing something else, which is attacking the elephant in the room. So are you, are you arguing that we should decide the pike balancing if we were to decide that this is not extraterritorial? I agree with uh, Mr. Kuhn, the court has discretion um, in terms of judicial economy and efficiency, I think the record is fairly straightforward here, and I don't know that the district court is necessarily in a better position than this court to look at the, you know, in our view, we have demonstrated we've met our burden of proof, and so the court could, it's sort of formulaic, but the court could look at the absence of proof on the attorney general side and say, I'm sorry, you know, you all had your opportunity. On the other hand, I could, look, I could see going the other way on that as well, to be very frank, to say you want to give them another shot on that. Well, let me ask you this, in the district court, what, was there really an argument on pipe balancing, given it sounds like the district court was convinced on the extraterritoriality point. So if, did you really even get into pipe, pipe balancing argument? We briefed it, Your Honor. We, we briefed it. Um, the hearing, the two hearings, as I recall, primarily focused on extraterritoriality, but the briefing below addressed Pike, I think actually more extensively than the briefing here in this court. Given the way that the district court wrote its order, we all up here focus on extraterritoriality to a, to a larger degree. This is a 
we're reviewing this on a preliminary injunction. So have proceedings gone forward in terms of discovery, et cetera, in the, in the district court? No, Your Honor. Um, no, the, the Commonwealth answered, and I think that was the last material filing in the case in the last, um, you know, uh, six, seven months or so. I'd like to, to point at the elephant in the room, which is Amazon. I understand the Commonwealth's contention that there is an infringement or a restriction on the Commonwealth's police powers. But in this particular case, that's not nearly as significant as I think we're hearing today. Amazon has total control over its store. That was the undisputed evidence in the record. And insofar as the Attorney General is concerned about prices in Amazon's store, the Attorney General retains the ability to regulate Amazon, to issue CIDs to Amazon, if necessary, to begin an enforcement action against Amazon. And yet, to our knowledge, in the roughly 10 months that the injunction has been in place, the Attorney General has not, again, to our knowledge, pursued Amazon. And so unlike a hypothetical case where the state has no tools left at its disposal, in this case, the state or the Commonwealth, excuse me, retains a very powerful tool to go after the dominant actor, which unlike our members, has the ability to engage in state-specific business. So unlike, this is not a case where a, an actor, a commercial actor can completely wall itself off entirely or wall an entire marketplace off from state police powers. Amazon, as we understand the law, Amazon can't actually do that. The problem is that our members are in a really unique position. And I have to back out a little bit. In, in our federal system, there are always trade-offs between state power on the one hand and federal power on the other hand. And sometimes one branch or one division of government gets a little more power and sometimes it's the other. And in order to facilitate a national marketplace and coherent national regulation, our framers struck a balance. National economic regulation belongs in the hands of the national government. And that, that, that is the basis of the Dormant Commerce Clause. It's actually, if you, if you study, if one studies the history, it's what inspired or largely what inspired the replacement of the articles with the constitution. And then- Has, the Congress, has Congress issued a uh, price gouging statute that would cover so situation? Interesting question. There is not a direct price gouging statute by name, but I can tell you that last year, the Department of Justice, the US Department of Justice took the position that the federal anti-hoarding statute can apply to instances of price gouging. And I say that because I was involved in some discussions with the US Attorney's Office about that. And I understand, I mean, that was all, you know, March, April, 2020 chaos, the government looking for all tools at its disposal, but that was their position. And, and I, um, it did have an effect on, on um, retailers, I will, I will say that. I don't think it was ever prosecuted, but I, I can't be definitive about that. Of course, the FTC also has regulatory authority if there are problems in the national marketplace. So when you look at the cases, what the Supreme Court has said, going back at least to the Baldwin case in 1935 in the depths of the economic depression, in an opinion by Justice Cardozo, the court has recognized that we are a national economic union. And sometimes it is in the joint interest of all of us for to have uniform national regulation rather than conflicting piecemeal contrary state regulation. Well, you don't doubt that the AG could regulate uh, can local Kentucky businesses selling, not on Amazon, but selling in mom and pop stores within Kentucky, right? 
Yes, under the Dormant Commerce Clause, absolutely. No Dormant Commerce Clause, extraterritoriality problem there. No, you you might look at Pike, but I don't think that'd be a strong argument. So no, that's not our position. So why should it be different? Because a mom and pop store chooses to use Amazon to sell its goods, but to do the same hypothetical price gouging as it's doing when it's selling on a street corner in Lexington, Kentucky. Your Honor, that flows directly from the design of our system. Our system prioritizes a national, more or less free market economy. It's subject to state regulation. But what we can't have is a situation. I mean, this case actually, and I understand, you know, members of this board and members of this panel have expressed some skepticism of the Dormant Commerce Clause. But this case illustrates why the law looks like it does. Because imagine the scenario where a mom and pop business who wants to sell on Amazon has to make sure let's say we're talking about bottles of hand sanitizer. What does the Kentucky attorney general think the, the ceiling price is? What does the Tennessee attorney general? And do that 48 or 49 more times, it's totally impossible. And then you magnify that or multiply that by the number of goods that are for sale on Amazon. And it's just an unsustainable burden, particularly given, we don't need to get into the constitutional vagueness, but given let's say the open-ended and amorphous nature of these, of these price gouging statutes, it is impossible. And this was the undisputed evidence in the record. It is impossible for our members to function like that. Their only option is to- Suppose hypothetically that, yeah. suppose hypothetically that Amazon did not have the national price rule uh, that it apparently has, but said that if um, an AG in Kentucky says price gouging is happening here because of a Kentucky seller selling to people in Kentucky via Amazon, um, that the price has to be limited as the AG of Kentucky says. Would that violate the extraterritorial principles? I, I don't think that it would, Your Honor. And that's actually something that we have said, we've discussed with the Attorney General, which is that the way that this regulation ought to happen is it ought to flow downward through the business channels. And so go to Amazon and tell them what the prices are. And Amazon can enforce those guidelines, not as a matter of massive exposure, but as a matter of business reality. Because you have to understand the penalties, if you, if you advertise at the wrong price and the Kentucky Attorney General doesn't like your price, the penalties can reach $25,000 a day. The attorney general can remove your charter. He can seize control of your business and wind it down. So these but, are- But there's an easy answer for the Kentucky business here, which is to say to the AG, what, you know, what is your view as to what's price gouging? You know, and, and I know the statute here has a safe harbor. So the Kentucky seller could say to Amazon, I can only sell at this price, which is the pre-pandemic price, plus 10%. Well, I, you know, I think one of the realities, Your Honor, is that given the market power of Amazon, it is unrealistic. And there's certainly no evidence in the record to suggest that our individual members can, can go to Amazon and say, you have to overhaul, you, we think, have to overhaul your platform so that it will benefit us. That, I mean, that message has to come, frankly, if not from Washington, that has to come from the Attorney let me, General. Let me make sure I understand how the platform works. So you're saying the individual seller doesn't get to pick the price that the product is sold on Amazon? It, let me clarify, Your Honor. So the, the way it works, and this was our in, um, in our declaration, the way it works is merchants propose a price to Amazon based on data that Amazon provides. Amazon is always scouring the market, right, using AI. So the merchant proposes a price and Amazon has unilateral discretion to approve or reject that price 
based on what Amazon thinks the market is. Um, oftentimes you're looking, you know, because Amazon sells its own goods, you may not uh, be aware, but there's sort of first party and third party sales on Amazon. And so depending on what you buy, it might come directly. I mean, it all- Let me just cut to the chase. So Amazon approves the price. Yeah. And then once a price has been approved, it has to be that price for every buyer in the market. Yes, there's right. no way for our, well, from so our perspective. There are Robinson Patman concern behind it. What's, what, why does Amazon have that rule that it has to be the same price for every buyer? I would be speculating, Your Honor, but my first hunch is just administrative efficiency or perhaps because a lot of other online algorithms are looking at national markets. And this is actually true. I mean, if you think about it, it again, I mean, this is going beyond the record, but you know, if you, if you went to various retailer websites, I think they tend to offer more or less the same price around the country because that's sort of how the internet works these days in terms of e-commerce. Um, taxes are different, you know, taxes, Amazon plugs in different taxes. But there's products. nothing in the record as to why Amazon has this policy. No, just that the policy is just speculating right now. Yes, Your Honor. Yes. And and so and I and I do want to come back to the law a little bit, Your Honor. You know, this really, right or wrong, there are reasons that the Dormant Commerce Clause and the extraterritoriality doctrine look the way they do. And right or wrong, this is very firmly established law for cases from the Supreme Court, from this court, from the other circuits without exception. And why does not the international dairy case? offer a contrary view to the point you're just making? So in the international dairy case, Your Honor, the issue was that the dairies could continue to function, but it might be, uh, they might not be able to function in terms of their preferred labeling efficiencies. You know, the sort of, well, it might cost you a little bit more money basically to have multiple lines of labeling, but, but their undisputed evidence in the record was that our members have a different choice, right? They can either exit Amazon entirely, which is the dominant e-commerce platform in the country, but far and away, or they can try and guess at the price for myriad goods that the attorney general of Kentucky might approve. And then they still have to worry about, well, what about the other 49 or 50 AGs and will they approve the same price? So it's not just the, and that's another thing I suppose with international dairy in my recollection, there are sort of two main themes in extraterritoriality. One is directly controlling uh, prices or, or other conduct in another state. The other thing the court, uh, the Supreme Court instructs us to look at is what if all of the states or some of the states adopt similar regimes so that you end up with overlapping and conflicting obligations. And I don't believe the attorney general addressed that earlier. And the reality is that is independently um, dispositive here because we actually see, you know, I view it as helpful, the brief from the uh, other attorneys general because you see the diversity in state price gouging laws. And it is an impossible task for a small business owner or any human being to guess in advance which, which one of those prices is the ceiling so that if you, if you stay under that ceiling, you're avoiding exposure to everybody else and avoiding death penalty sanctions for price gouging. I mean, Would there be the same kind of problem in the international dairy case too of different states having different labels? My recollection, I'm going from recollection, Your Honor, my recollection is that that was not, obviously this is subject to what's in the opinion, but my recollection is that that was not a significant factor in the court's reasoning, whereas I think that concern is a very significant factor if you look at Healy and Brown-Forman and really all the other cases, you look at this patchwork effect because that's what we had under the articles, right? And 
it's it just totally confounds business. And I do think, you know, I, I emphasized this before, but but I think it's important for us to remember the AG has at his disposal an alternative, which is to regulate the party that actually controls the marketplace. We're not taking away the injunction, the preliminary injunction does not take away the attorney general's power to do what appears to be the most efficient thing in the world, which is go after the person in charge of the store, not the upstream suppliers who have extremely limited options, even if they wanted to guess and got it right, it's still extraordinarily complicated and burdensome to do that. So we, we really see this case as controlled by precedent. We think that if the attorney general, and I see my time is up, but we think if the attorney general were to prevail here, we're ushering in a radical new world of state, local state power over prices in the interstate market. It may not be just state attorney generals, it may be local prosecutors who get to, under, under threat of very serious penalties, get to dictate prices and conduct in national markets. And that is to me the, the antithesis of what the Dormant Commerce Clause is all about. Thank you for your time, Ernest. Thank you. Mr. Kuhn. Yes, Your Honor, thank you. Um, I wanna start with the assertion that we're uh, proposing a radical rule. Um, Mr. Block did not run away from the conclusion that if the district court's preliminary injunction, if its reasoning is upheld by this court, then all 30 uh, of the states that have price gouging statutes, uh, all of their statutes uh, stand on very weak footing at that point. Uh, you know, Mr. Block talked about only the federal government being able to do this. Uh, so if the court agrees with that, it's going to call into question not only price gouging statutes, uh, but consumer protection statutes more generally. Uh, this is a, a narrow, little use doctrine. I, I don't think it should be uh, expanded in that way. Judge Moore, you asked about the brick and mortar stores and Mr. Block conceded that we could regulate those, we could regulate price gouging their uh, brick and mortar stores. Uh, but the problem with that, of course, is that, you know, then Amazon can sell for higher prices. Uh, and we've got market distortions in Kentucky where brick and mortar stores are regulated, but Amazon uh, is not. Uh, and in this respect, I'd call the court to the, the recent Wayfair decision from the Supreme Court. Uh, and I'm quoting here, in overruling Quill, they said, quote, it is certainly not the purpose of the Commerce Clause to permit the judiciary to cre create market distortions. That's exactly what the district court's decision did here. Um, as to Amazon, um, the, the Dormant Commerce Clause does not pigeonhole the Commonwealth of Kentucky uh, into pursuing the route that's most favorable to our litigation opponents. Uh, we've taken an all of the above approach. We're early in our investigation. Uh, we're going to follow where our investigation leads if that's to Amazon. Uh, so we have not disclaimed prosecution with respect to Amazon. Uh, I'd note also that our price gouging statutes, one of them in particular, uh, is written such that the safe harbors that you mentioned, Judge Moore, are focused on state uh, or on or seller specific. What were the seller's costs? Uh, what were the seller's contract prices? What is its normal markup? Um, those are specific to sellers, not to Amazon. Um, so we're enforcing statutes passed by uh, our General Assembly. The final point that I'll make is, is really the, the, the Guild invites this court to undertake a dramatic expansion of an otherwise narrow rule that no other court has undertaken. Uh, under the Guild's proposed rule, Amazon sellers are entirely immune from state price gouging oversight generally. Under the Guild's proposed rule, Amazon's design decisions overrule the laws of a sovereign state. That cannot be the case. And under the Guild's proposed rule, 
the extraterritoriality doctrine is in direct conflict with the state's police powers to protect their own citizens in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. The court respectfully should keep the extraterritoriality doctrine in its narrow and focused lane and refuse the unwarranted expansion urged by the Guild and adopted by the District Court. Thank you. Thank you both for your argument and the case will be submitted.